0: Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Bratman. Today we're sitting down with John Faragon to talk about recent updates to the Department of Health and Human Services guidelines. Welcome, John.
1: Thanks, Mariana. I'm happy to be here and uh, looking forward to another exciting episode, right?
0: Yes. So john walk us through what changed in the guidelines and when
1: yeah so i this is got a great i think a great update for us um you know it's very timely uh just earlier this is uh you know uh earlier in june june 3rd actually um there was a dhhs guideline update so as many of you know the department of health and human services has guidelines that are updated on a regular basis and um what i want to do is kind of highlight the uh the, the guideline summaries that, that are that are on uh, on the website that that are involved with the with the guidelines. So, since the, the release of the last guidelines, the most important thing is they they really updated uh, some of the data from the Botswana Simpano study. And and uh, many of you may be aware of this, but basically that was the study that showed that uh, there was a higher rate of neural tube defects associated with delugevir. But however, since they've had more um, uh, pregnancies that have, that have been uh, without neural tube defects that they um, that rate of neural tube defects for dolutegravir was actually much lower than previously reported. So based on some of this new data the guidelines now are recommending that that a dolutegravir based regimen can be prescribed for most people with hiv who are of childbearing potential. Now this is a big change because there was a lot of charts and a lot of discussion around this whole topic that were in the guidelines prior to this but based on this new data they removed a lot of the language that, that had cautions for, for Now, I want to make sure everybody's clear. I, I think anybody initiating a Doty based regimen and someone, uh, a person of childbearing potential, I think clinicians still need to really discuss these risks and benefits. And that's what the guidelines are saying too, really to allow them to make an informed decision. But, you know, the rate of, uh, of neural tube defects with Doty is very, very low. Um, and should not be a reason to withhold therapy in a woman of childbearing age. But I think you just need to make sure that you that you discuss discuss those issues with uh, with uh, with those patients. I'll also caution people too. This is also important for for uh, for post exposure prophylaxis. If you're an institution that's using doxycycline for PEP, and you have somebody who's going to go on post exposure prophylaxis that requires um, the Utegravir, make sure you're discussing that as well. If you have someone who's a childbearing potential, for example, uh, you know, if you, if you have an, uh, you know, a, a patient or even a nurse who's involved with a needle sick, make sure you're, you're, you're talking about those things. So also raltegravir, which again, we've had this drug for a while. Um, this is icentris, is the brand name, but, uh, these regimens as initial therapy was moved from, um, from, a, from a different category, which basically was the it previously was recommended for initial regimens for most people with HIV, which is kind of like the, the old preferred guidelines. Um, and now that's actually now recommended as initial regimen, just in certain clinical situations. So it, it's kind of a, a, kind of a downgrade a little bit um, off for raltegavir. And the reason for this is really a couple of things. I think most people would use raltegavir in a lot of patients who are women of childbearing age, if you were concerned about them not using, uh, using a uh, uh, barrier contraception. So updated uh, that's some panel data that I mentioned about, for, you know, with the neural tube defects uh, really kind of shows that doxycycline is probably okay uh, during conception and really uh, would, would would mean choosing um, uh, roxithromycin over doxycycline is really not not necessary any longer. Uh, I think many of you would agree with this in, in that roxithromycin has a lower barrier to resistance than uh, than doxycycline and bigtegavir. And also, there is also uh, obviously a higher pill burden, whether you're doing the BID dosing or even the once-a-day dosing. But Segevier has the largest pill burden of all the integrated-based regimens. Um, that and it's not part of any of the single table regimens that that we have available to us. So that's really, I think, uh, I think the most the most important piece of of uh, of kind of the treatment guidelines uh uh that 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 were changed in this most recent update.
0: So john can you summarize what's on the current recommended for most list
1: yeah so this is probably a good uh, good opportunity for me to take that time to do that right mariana so again a couple changes right but again i think that they're um what they did was in the guidelines this time they actually divided it out into um obviously they're all integrated space regimens right so i think everybody listening hopefully would be aware that we're using for for most people who are newly infected with hiv we're using integrated space regimens and we're either using an inste plus two nukes or an inste plus one nuke. So the inste plus two nucleoside regimens, and in, in in, uh, again, this is an alphabetical order. The first one is what we call uh, bictaf FTC, so Bictegravir tenofovir plus emtricitabine. That's a, that's an combination called BIC-TAR-V. Um That's on the guidelines. Next, if the patient is HLA B five seven O one negative, you can use W-Tegravir or Bacavir. And lamivudine, which is in triumec, that's a well, it's a single pill, as well as as is Bictarvi. And then you also have the option of using dolutegravir plus either TAF FTC or TDF 3TC. So basically, dolutegravir plus either Truvada or either Descovi uh, in combination with Tivicay. That's kind of your third your third option for integrase plus two nucleosides. The integrase plus one nuke, I think we've discussed this before, but this is the the relatively new Dovato, which is W-tegavir 3TC. Again, it doesn't have any abacavir and no TAF or TDF. Um, However, for those patients that have viral loads greater than 500,000, if they have hepatitis B co-infection, or if, um, if ART is going to be started before genotypes are, are available uh, or hepatitis B testing is available, that would not be recommended. But do 3TC and pretty much in all those other patients would, would be okay. So that's kind of the what to start uh, uh, piece and really the, the recommended for most lists based on um, on the current DHHS guidelines from, from June 3rd. So again, the big thing here is that what's not on the list now is raltegravir based regimens with either Truvada or, or Descovia are not on the list anymore for for recommended for most in the DHHS guidelines.
0: All right. So it sounds like we've covered quite a bit. Is that all that was updated or were there any other changes to the guidelines?
1: So as you can imagine, right, the guidelines just usually don't just change one section. They usually go through a bunch of things. So I'm going to highlight not everything, but just some of them. Um, the the first thing is the biologic failure section. I think most people are aware of this, but really if somebody's failing the regimen, new regimens really should include at least two, preferably three, fully active drugs and, and the new regimen uh, really should have a drug with a high barrier to resistance. And for example, um, they use w or boosted Darunivir as examples of drugs with high barriers to resistance. And again, this was really uh, prompted by a lot of accumulating data showing that new regimens with two fully active ARV drug, uh, drugs can effectively achieve viral suppression as provided that one of those two drugs is a high barrier to resistance. So again, the two drugs that they list here, you know, if, as an example, or and boosted duronavir probably your most common ones that you would use in treatment experience patients. And also, many of you may be using the new drug called rocobia which is Fostemsevir. Um, and this is mainly for patients with multidrug-resistant HIV. Um, that actually has also been added to added to the guidelines. There's a another section on poor CD4 and uh, CD4 recovery and persistent inflammation um, showing that basically... The mechanisms for declining cd4 counts despite suppressive ART, uh, and it really has a nice review of the status of the experimental and strategies um, to really reduce this persistent inflammation so that's that's in there as well um and it includes some explanations for why monitoring levels of inflammation is not really currently recommended in, in clinical practice um for as far as optimizing therapy and setting virologic suppression this is kind of like the what i call the switch section of the guidelines so basically, what do you do for people who are already virologically suppressed? And you're gonna know, change them. What's an option for people? And now there's a nice section on the intramuscular uh combination, cabotegravir plus ropivirine, which is that cabanuva that we've talked about a couple times in, in this uh in these updates. So it talks about the clinical trial data, some of the data on the long acting cab plus ropivirine, and really some of the practical considerations, especially managing recommendations around, around misses, missing doses. Um, the section on adolescents and young adults was updated as well, which really talks about um, really that transition from pediatric to adult care settings. There's a nice section on that. The women with HIV really was, was a lot of it we've already kind of covered. The big issue was that whole Botswana study showing that really do you take that their risk of neural tube defects um, is similar for 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 Dutegavir or favipirin during conception, and that data is in there now in the, in the uh, in the women with HIV section. There's also a nice ARV drug interaction section regarding hormonal therapy. So this is hormonal therapy that that a lot of times uh, patients who who are transgender may be using hormone therapy during antiretroviral treatments, and and there's a nice section on the drug interactions there that's actually been updated. That you can take a look at, um, and then there's a new subsection on Um, talking about menopause in women with HIV and its potential impact on ART. That's a new section that's, that hasn't not been in the guidelines until now. A nice section on on substance use disorders and HIV. Uh, And then the next one I think is really important is some of the, uh, some of the the key updates to the uh, tuberculosis, HIV co-infection section. So many of you may be aware, but there's a, there's a, um, there's a weekly isoniazid and rifapentine, regimen that's out there that's prescribed for treatment of latent latent tuberculosis. And really, there's a lot of drug interactions with this and and you have to be careful. So I just encourage you to take a look at that section. And when you do that, look at the drug interaction section as well, because there's some highlights for for rifapentine that have to be really followed for for certain combinations uh, with HIV drugs and when you're using that once weekly regimen. Um, the cost section, I think was also updated as well. Um, as you know, there's a nice section in the guidelines, which has the cost of antiretroviral therapy and talking about um, uh, some of the, the prices of the commonly used ARV drugs that really reflects some of the up to date prices as, as of 2021, which I think is really helpful to kind of get a sense of what some of these drugs are costing, uh, including generic as well generic potential generic prices that's kind of the big stuff and then finally the drug drug interaction tables i can't say enough about how good they are they're really done well but really cab and rupivirin has been added and also plus all these have been added to the DHHS guideline changes and um really throughout the entire uh the guideline tables that are highlighting the drug interactions they've they've all been updated throughout the, the different sections so really some big i think some summaries the big change was really that deletegravir piece though Mariana. i think that's the most important thing because I think people were really worried about using deletegravir in women woman or childbearing agent. And I think people should still be counseling patients that there is still a risk of neural tube defects, but it's not, it's not as significantly high as what we saw uh, in, in previous versions or previous cuts of that Sympano data. That last data set really kind of showed that is um, the risk is still very, very low, even for uh, for deletegravir in that study as they got more births and found out more, more births were safe that are really kind of reduced the, the actual rate of neural tube defects as that denominator got bigger and bigger um, for 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 that for that adverse event. So those are kind of the big things, right? So kind of a quick update today, but I think important stuff or important information, I guess I shouldn't use stuff, right? Important information that we need to kind of focus on when we're looking at these guidelines and, and what what the changes are for um, to help us really treat our patients and hopefully do the do the best we can for HIV care.
0: John, thank you so much for joining us today and going through these most recent updates to the DHS guidelines. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AETC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaaetc.org. That's wwwn If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at That's p-o-d-c-a-s-t at Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Mika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.